Rhonda Birchmore has charted a career spanning 40 years and several genres. She is equally adept at cabaret, television variety and musical theatre, with extensive credits demonstrating consummate skill and audience delight. In 2019, she was very much in the public consciousness as we watched her traverse the many challenges and triumphs navigated in the sixth season of I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. Rhonda's tremendous tenacity, humour and heart shone through, placing a third and garnering much affection from campmates and audience. She has played stages around Australia and the West End, affording her opportunities to work alongside legendary performers such as Eddie Bracken, Mickey Rooney, Ann Miller and Anthony Newley. She has given us star turns in the musical Sugar Babies, Hot Shoe Shuffle, Mamma Mia, Stop the World, I Want to Get Off, Mame and The Drowsy Chaperone and been celebrated as a solo performer with dynamic turns in shows such as Fever, Vinyl Viagra, My Funny Valentines and Everybody Loves Rhonda. Everybody does love Rhonda and she continues to delight on screens and stages. And as the critics attest, she just keeps going from strength to strength. Come on along and listen to the lullaby of Broadway. The howdy high and boopa too. The lullaby of Broadway. The band begins to go to town and everyone goes crazy. You rock by your baby round till everything gets hazy. Hush, bye, I buy you this and that. I hear your dad is saying, and baby goes home to her flat to sleep all day. Dog here. Zoro, do you want to sit here and say hello to Peter? Oh no, a standard poodle that's about 12 years old that thinks he's, yeah, if, if, you, if you see a poodle come up halfway through, you'll know that that's Zorro. <laughs> that's not a euphemism, is it? <laughs> <laughs> a poodle, a poodle. A poodle, I've got two standard poodles. Uh, yeah. Gorgeous. Put a bit of a light on there. Wait on. How, oh, oh, look, that's me. Oh, look at that. Oh, my God. That's oh. Hollywood glamour. That's it, of course. I, I knew I was missing something. I was sitting there in the dark. Norma. There you go. I was doing a bit of Norma Desmond. You're in your studio where you're doing Ronda Rewind. I am. And wait, you're going to be so excited. Come on, sit up there. If you're going to sit up there, get up there, but you're going to stay here for the whole... Come on. Uh, oh, he's got bad beautiful. hips. Bad come on, hips. come on up. Mm. Oh, oh. How, old, how old is he? Oh, he we're, we're 12 going on. Oh, and here's the other one. Say hello to Peter. What, what this has caused me to do this this lockdown, because I, I never would have had the time, um, is to look at all these old videos, look at all these old photos and programs. I've just got... 
thousands of them. So, and uh, it's a good time to put together this little, uh, you know, little YouTube series. Yeah, it's 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 a great uh, great treat every week to see see the ladies because there's so many uh, dimensions to your career. Uh, there are a few a few old things, and yeah, celebrating forty years this year. I think, uh, Pete. What do you get for a fortieth anniversary? Is it ruby or? I don't know nothing. Nothing. Paper. Nothing. Um, I've lost your. Im- I've lost your image. I don't know what's happened. Is is one of the poodles? Oh wait, I'm someone's trying. I'm just going to decline this call. Decline. Go away. So are you comfy? You've got a glass of water and all that I'm, sort of thing. I've got my water here, my darling heart, and I've got you, and I've got the dogs here. Yes. All right. Well, away we go. <laughs> what a, what a treat to have you on stage, as Rhonda. Thanks for joining us. Uh, my absolute pleasure, Peter. Um, uh, well, we were, I've heard how you've been amusing yourself. You've sort of been really sort of focusing on uh, categorising and, and celebrating a vast career of 40 years. That's four decades. I know. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you Google me, Peter, it says I began performing when I was two. So I guess that makes me 42, give or take. <laughs> wow. Congratulations. I'm only kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Can we talk about um, the jungle first off? Because I guess that's what a lot of people sort of know you more recently from, the sixth season mm. of I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, where you placed mm. third. And any wonder, because you certainly contributed to that series, uh, you, were, you were the heart and the humour of the season, I thought. Oh, thanks, Peter. You know, it's one of those things that I've... Um, you know, I'd been asked in the past to to go on the show and my husband always said he'd divorce me if I went on that show. And uh, it was just something this time when the phone call came through. It, it was, it, I just recently tried to get an audition for something on television and and it was the same old, same old response. Oh, no, we know what Rhonda, you know, is, you know, she's this glamorous kind of leggy showgirl. Da, 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 da. And I thought... I am so sick of people having this kind of, you know, boxed idea of what I am and what I do. And um, I thought, I'll go and show them. I'll go out there stripped of makeup, stripped of everything. And uh, um, never thought that I would get the response that I got, uh, you know, and and the support of um, Australians and and especially Australians in uh, the theatre community that really, really got behind me. And uh, so, yeah, I, I loved it. It was extreme. Uh, a lot of people say, you know, uh, I'm just going to do that. A lot of people are saying, you know, uh, surely they sugarcoat it for um, television. No, it was, it was more extreme than I could have possibly thought. With, with, I'm talking about uh, there is no help if, if uh, apart from your campmates. I mean, at any particular night there would be snakes in the camp or ticks or baboons peeing from a great height above you onto you um and that, and and you were just there and your mates to you know to deal with it um uh, yeah so it was um it was yeah and the food trial not even to go into the trials i'm talking about you know just the day-to-day living there was was pretty rough but it looked physically taxing and also very exposing emotionally. You really sort of, they wear you down so you let your guard down, don't they, and, uh, and share all sorts of things. You do, and, and they do that purposely, Peter. They do, uh, 
you know, um, they had that, this, that kind of word, hang, what were they calling it? Hangry. Because they, they, they between hunger and anger, um, angry, that these people, because we were, were only served so little food. And if you didn't like um, rice and beans every day, and, and that's the thing, it's the mental torture. If you, if you don't go ahead and do a trial, you don't get the food to feed the camp. So you have to wear the, 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 the wrath of, you know, the, your fellow camp mates, uh, you know, being mean to you. So it, there was a lot of mental games and there was a lot of, uh, they do wear you down. And, 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 and I think, that whole thing of isolation, I, I know we've all been going through isolation, but that is a, a level where uh, there's no music, there's no communication with the outside world um, or your loved ones. It's um, no phones, obviously, no, nothing. It, it, and um, you just have to make best of it. And, and I think that's why I came out of it okay, is that uh, I, I kind of went in there and said, this is what I'm going to do. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm, I get on pretty much with most people. So uh, I, I kind of, you know, embraced that and, and, and thought, you know, I'm here for a month at least. And I, I ended up being the last female surviving, which I never thought in a million years I'd get to. Because in those programs too, Pete, you, you have people with, like Charlotte from England, uh, she had something like eight and a half million followers. I mean, that is ridiculous numbers, you know, for uh, for us poor little thespians. So, um, and it is all a matter of, you know, how many votes and stuff. So for, for this little Aussie uh, to kind of, um, you know, uh, from from uh, musical theatre basically to, to get to the end was, uh, I, I think, a, a bit of a triumph. <laughs> I cannot get the the image of that treadmill uh, episode out oh. of my head. I mean, how did you cope with that? Getting on a treadmill on the edge of a cliff. Um, you know that that's the other thing is the the, the it's virtually torture. It's um, when the, when you leave the camp to do, you're kind of excited because in the camp it is all you are in a very small area and you're not allowed to leave even to go for a, you know a, a walk. Um, you, you can't do that. So you're in that space. So when you actually get invited to do a trial, you go, woohoo, but you don't know what it is. They blindfold you. They put you in a van. They uh, take you, you know, that one, the dreadmill, I knew I was going somewhere horrific because it was uphill and I was in a car for two hours to try to get there. And uh, when you finally get there, they remove the, 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 the blindfold. And I thought, holy you know, because uh, I hate, they also know before that you even go in there what your fears are. And one of mine is heights. And uh, Is this through a questionnaire be, or something, is it? They give you a questionnaire, at the, a yeah, questionnaire yeah, yeah. at the start. They, yeah. And, and we, with the questionnaire, with, there was like oh, three hours of um, psych tests before you actually go in there uh, that have to, they have to, you know, think that you could, could deal with it so there's there's a lot of you know that kind of pre-preparation but nothing can prepare you that dreadmill was the highest point in South Africa uh and to walk out on this little um plank and I thought I was going to die that is the absolute you know first time in my life I thought I am going to die here but what a glorious it was, it was like um, when the clouds were above you that's how high I was and uh, yeah I 
I still, I can't watch that, um, watching it back. And um, yeah, it, yeah, frightening, but very proud that I did it. And I, I don't know, uh, my sister, uh, I, I think, um, you know, I went in there with her charity um, in mind, which is Motor Neuron. And, and I, all I thought was, my sister would have adored this because she loved heights, she loved fear things, and, and I'm completely opposite. And I, I just think I kind of um, invested that power of her and, 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 and trust in the, I guess, the team from um, the show that um, I, I would be okay. And um, <laughs> I got through it. You must have had good travel insurance. <laughs> well, I think travel insurance... But even uh, Julia, Julia uh, Morris, the host of the show, she said, you know, uh, I could never have done that, Rhonda. I couldn't have done it. Uh, and I said, I hope you, I said, this is frightening with one wire. And uh, the scary thing I'll reveal on your program too, which really frightened me, um, because as I said, we don't know where we're going until you get there. You think they've got this all worked out. They've tried and tested a million times. I only found out on the way back from one of the tech guys that thing was only constructed the day before and it had only been tested out by two people. So um, I think they were very, very lucky, the, the big production company, that nothing did go wrong. I mean, gosh, I, if I'd have known that, I wouldn't no, have gone on. You, oh, my goodness. <laughs> what about the eating trials? How did you <laughs> prepare yourself to stomach some of that awful? Oh, my God. Awful is, you know, and that's the thing um, for, your, for your listeners, that it looked gross on the television, but actually to smell it and to taste it was like another level. Uh, and it was the most, yeah, gross. I mean, the... Impala anus mixed with cockroach larvae and rat's intestine, and you got chunks in there. So it was, I just thought, again, I, I kind of, I, I was a bit like Linda Blair out of The Exorcist, I think. I, it was like, oh, this will be, and uh, I, I just put myself in that space. And then, um, and again, not to reveal anything, um, but about the show after the trial's over after you've done that you think that they go oh Rhonda that was great here's a water here's a mint here's some wet wipes no you have to sit back in the car for the next hour to get back to camp because that's how they want you to walk in looking and smelling like you've gone through hell oh oh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're eating some pretty hideous foreign food I mean foreign to your body do you have a tummy ache afterwards or did it repeat on you um, in any way? Well, it's all those things. I don't know. And I don't know if you, you want to, but there was the one night I'd eaten a giant cockroach and um, <laughs> I let out the most enormous fart because this, this thing, I was like, oh, God, what is in my stomach? Um, but it, um, yeah, they don't care that much about, and it's not the most, uh, there's only a long drop or a short drop and there's no flushing. To, it's not even at the best of times, if you weren't feeling well, the, the nicest place to go. So you'd avoid the, you know, it took a few days for sure, answering your question uh, to get over uh, just the taste of that stuff in your, you could just keep, you know. Tasting yeah, it, yeah. yeah tasting it disgusting and let alone imagining what you'd just done mm. 
So has the experience made you a tougher person, do you think? You know, I surprised myself. Um, not, not tougher, but, I, I, yeah, I, I surprised myself how strong I was uh, in terms of dealing with people. Uh, a lot of people in there, you know, there, there'd be squabbles and fights and all little things, you know, to, to upset the camp. Um, I was... I was, or, or people would be crawling the walls with boredom. Um, I, whether I was putting on a pair of tap shoes or doing just something, I, I just had to just kind of let everything go and, and, and about home and not miss that too much too. I think it's the mental state that you put yourself in um, that, you know, and I, I kind of, I'd worked that, you know, I, I think I did okay with that. I imagine you'd have to be a pretty tough person anyway, surviving 40 years in this industry we call show. You've got to be, you've got to be resilient and tough, don't you, to keep going back for more? And, and especially, uh, you know, in these times, you know, all the COVID stuff is, is this is a real test. Um, I mean, we work so hard for our craft and we keep on, you know, I, I do strongly believe that it's, in your blood it's either in your blood or it's not uh i have this absolute passion this drive to perform to sing and and even though it's been 40 years I, you know i have no intention of stopping doing what i love and uh uh it's not just a job for me it's 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 just what i do and um if someone had to say you know and and that's what this is really really tough all this COVID year um because we just can't do what we want to do and uh it, it's uh this is really taxing. I, you know, and I'm forever the optimist and the Pollyanna saying, you know, you know, look for the silver lining. But it's it's really hard for us, you know, um, performers. You know, not only the, the the lack of income and the financial thing, but just the uh, lack of doing what we do and um, the artistry. You know, we we can't do that and. Uh, and, and, and it, it does kind of, you know, I think, you know, 40 years, yeah, and a lot of people of my age uh, probably, you know, thinking of retirement. Um, I, if this is any thought of what it's going to be, I don't <laughs> want to. I, I, I want to be going for at least another 20. <laughs> How do you like to wind down? I believe you like fishing. I love fishing. Oh, you've done your homework. I love fishing, and uh, that's another thing. Um, 
I can't do that at the moment. Um, I, I've got a little place on the Gold Coast. And uh, for me, relaxation is stripping clear of all the, the makeup and all the, the bling and all that. And um, just sitting with a line, you know, out to sea or, or in a boat. Um, yeah, I, I'm not necessarily, you know, I usually throw away the, the fish, but I, I actually, yeah, for me, that it's, it's something that I've loved since being a kid. And uh, so, how were you introduced to that? Is that is that something you did with your parents? Um, incredibly, we. I was born in Sydney, and uh, we had a holiday house down at a place called Sussex Inlet, um, uh, down there, the south, the Sapphire Coast, and um, we had a little holiday house, and it's it's extraordinary that. Um, my sister, my, no one in my family liked fishing, but I, um, you wouldn't do it these days. I, I used to go to a place called Swan Lake, um, which was uh, the name of the lake, and go under the bridge and meet a man called Purple Shirt. Now, every, if you said that today, you'd go, my gosh, who, I, to this day, I didn't know what his name was, Purple Shirt. And mum and dad used to let me go and meet Purple Shirt and who would teach me to fish for brim and other things under the under the bridge and I'd come back with fish no questions asked and then I'd go down the next day but this guy was totally legit his his kids didn't like fishing he was in the I mean but you can't tell that can you imagine saying you know if my daughter came back these days and said oh, I'm just going to make purple shit you'd be going what the but um, it was completely innocent and I only found out who Purple Shirt was at my wedding when he t turned up and it was uh, a man called Peter Seymour. He said, I'm Purple Shirt. And I, you know, so there you go. Wow, wow. It was a different time, wasn't it? I remember you, you, I grew up in the country, country Victoria, and you'd go out, you'd play up the bush and all you had to do was be <laughs> home when the streetlights went on. I know. It's uh, if very different times and it's the same I, I i was in a cul-de-sac in uh, like a little avenue in sydney and um incredibly the burrises as in um, mark burris from uh, the i think he's multi-billionaire now yellow, yellow brick road yeah. yellow brick road was my neighbor i mean there was only 10 of us in the street and we used to play in the street and you know same story um take myself on walks and yeah by myself and um go out to the park and create a musical out there in the park till dark and then by myself and then come back and no questions asked but yeah very different today now a little dicky bird asked me to inquire as to how you got the nickname ruder brickmore oh <laughs> ruder brickmore uh well it was 1989 and um I was going back to London to do a show called Stop the World I Want to Get Off. Um, it was an extraordinary um, opportunity. I was, I was off there to uh, work with Anthony Newley and we did uh, the big press launch and uh, they were introducing what will be, you know, it was the revival and, um, and the, the press said, you know, Anthony Newley uh, uh, and his co-star from un Down Under Ruder Brickmore and that was the front page of the Evening Standard and I thought how could they get Ruder Brickmore from Rhonda Birchmore but uh, and the photo too I, I looked like a truck driver so it was you know so Ruder stuck uh, and because uh, I thought how could they you know and and yeah it, that's my and and quite interesting Ruder 
um, I am a bit cheeky too, Pete. So um, I think it's a it's 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 a pretty good um, kind of yeah, you know, what do you call it? Uh, alter ego type thing. <laughs> now you're a Taurus like me. I was delighted to see. Oh, when are you, my love? I'm May what Tooth. Day? May Tooth, and you're the fifteenth. Oh, I am. <laughs> this is freaking you out a bit. <laughs> Oh no! You've done the no, not at all. I, I I do, and and I've got a brother that's born on the same day, only hours apart. So uh, three years, three years apart, but uh, about uh, or in the same hour or something like that. Three years, and and I worked it out. Um, well, we worked it out. It was um, uh, it worked out perfectly to my mum and dad's um anniversary. So they must yes, have, you know, mine mine was in August as well. My parents' anniversary. Well, there you are. There you go. August We're 11. Talking. Exactly. That's what they were doing, celebrating well, the anniversary. That is incredible. August 20, yeah. mum and that. There you go. Oh, gosh. Yeah, we've worked it out. Um, so I've got some Torian traits here. Um, tell me whether they measure up for you. Are you determined? Uh, totally. Ambitious? Totally. We're, we're not going to kill, kill someone to get there, but, yes, ambition yeah, is, 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 is a key. Are you a patient person? Yes, until driven too hard. I, I, I've got the patience of a saint, but uh, if and, and I am so calm and everyone says, oh, lovely Rhonda, until uh, ignited with that patience and uh, watch out. <laughs> Are you stubborn? Oh, yes, not a sub. You know, I, I usually give in after a while, depending on what. But uh, yeah, yeah, I've seen more stubborn people. Uh, yeah, I know what they say stubborn like a bull, but um, yeah, kind of fair, I guess, 50 50, I guess. <laughs> and are you hedonistic? Do you like the good things in life? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Who doesn't? Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was the thing in the jungle. Uh, I mean, I have got a thing for beautiful linen and, um, oh, my gosh, to be in a dirty old sleeping bag on a you know, camp stretcher was pretty rough. Yeah. Cockroach parts and no <laughs> towels and cold water and no, one soap had to do your hair, your body, the dishes, the, everything, So and your washing. Now, Rhonda Suzanne, is that a family name? Uh, I wasn't. I, I was going to be called Rebecca, apparently, and um, my dad didn't like Rebecca too much or something. But Rhonda, I was after uh, after Rhonda Fleming. Mum was a major. She used to love all those old movies, so that was. And Suzanne, um, I don't know where Suzanne came from, but um, yeah, that was my middle name. So Rhonda Suzanne. Now, did Mum and Dad have artistic leanings? Was there a piano in the house or sing-alongs? No. Um, my mom, Pete, was from a really rough, you know, I, she, she's recently passed, but she, she had a really rough upbringing. She was out to, to work at 13. Um, she was a, uh, uh, her parents divorced. Her dad was an alcoholic. Um, you know, she had a shocking and, and very poor, um, you know, I, I remember only seeing the other day, uh, I said to my daughter, the nasturtium leaves. And uh, I remember mum clearly saying that on a good day, she picked nasturtium leaves and put tomato sauce on white bread. And that was like a treat. And uh, so she had she had a really um, 
uh, rough uh, upbringing and, and her escape was to go to, to the movies to see musicals and things like that. So she loved, you know, watching, you know, the Judy Garland, the Ann Miller, the, all of that and, and all the costumes. And she was a self-taught um, seamstress. And so um, when we came along, uh, my goodness, you know, it was like a dream come true for her to, I guess, to, to take us to dance class, to give us all those opportunities that she never had and uh, um, make all our costumes and as kids and, and right through to my, you know, variety television. Mum used to make all my cosies based on those kind of Hollywood kind of, uh, you know, uh, um, movie stars that she would see. And, and Dad, on the other hand, he was um, head of Bramble's, transport so um but he does claim when people say you know Rhonda was that someone in musical in your family he played a bit of trombone in the Tivoli so um that's about as much as we get there you had um a sister Michelle who was a performer yes did she inspire yeah, you I, in some way a gorgeous sister Michelle uh totally inspired i mean we both had the opportunities as and i was only two and a half when i started doing dance class with my big sister because i was the same height as the 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 big kids at two and a half um and i joined up you know um, my dancing teacher joan smith she said you know if you you know if you think because mum would say Rhonda can do all these things you know she she kind of comes home and imitates her sister so i went into the big kids class and uh so michelle was always the perfect blonde the, the the perfect height um and she would be one of the um last williamson's jason williamson's girls under betty pounder to get into um when, when that was you know a thing um she did a show called irene with um julie anthony and nolferia and i remember i mean i've always as i said wanted to be in showbiz but that was my first professional um, show that I'd seen in a theatre and I knew at 15 that was the only thing I ever wanted to do to when I saw her perform and uh, and the crazy thing is Pete she went on, on to do um, the Weirs and Canterbury Tales and a, a lot of musicals you know when they used to you, you'd go from one to one to one and she was more of a dancer than a singer and um, yeah she uh, Right to the end, you know, she 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 passed. She would pass away of this horrific um, motor neurone disease, but um, to have a more generous, giving um, sister uh, who was so proud of me and what I went on to do, uh, yeah, I, I miss her dearly. Did she um, continue to perform towards the end of Williamson's? Did she perform after that, or, or happily retire? Well, she, she, I don't think she happily, being a dancer, um, as you can imagine that when that's your one thing, uh, she, she, she got some injuries. Um, I, I think it was a, uh, something in a knee and then she, something in a hip and, and, and it's, it's a very short lived life, you know, when you're a, a dancer as such. And so she went on to do, um, uh, public relations and she she was always a wonderful 
actor and so she did very well there and uh um, you know, with trans, uh, with with freight of all things, and she she could sell what is it, coals to Newcastle. Ice to the Eskimos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she could. Like your mum, I imagine you had a diet of MGM musicals. Were you a fan of the the Sunday afternoon matinee? Oh, totally. Uh, you know, everything would stop in our little house. Um, when one of those came on uh, and we used to pray for them to come on because we, your mum would have us, you know, we, we, we'd have to do our practice. I mean, and when one of those musicals came on on a Sunday, I remember, you know, we all had to get in front of the telly and, uh, um, you know, whether I, I'm thinking of Gene Kelly, Fred Astaire, you know, all Citrus and mum would say, look at these, look at the, you know, and, and they are. I mean, I say to so many young people um, these days, you know, what's the best, you know, they, sh they need to look at how they used to do it because a lot of these young ones these days think that no one came before them. But if you look at, uh, you know, just the skill and the absolute sheer style and talent, you know, and, and for, yeah, it, we, it was a compulsive thing in the virtual household to, to, to watch those musicals, and I still love them. Yes, if it wasn't a musical, it was generally a Western. <laughs> you prayed that it was going to be a, a musical that Sunday. Oh, def yeah, it wasn't keen on the Westerns, yeah. yeah we'd, ha we'd have to do extra, extra uh, practice if it was a Western. They weren't on in the virtual. No, no, we didn't get that. <laughs> Were you participating in musicals at school or with community theatre groups? That's a great question, Pete. No one's ever asked me that. I, 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 I went to Beverly Hills Girls High School, um, and that's Beverly Hills in, in New South Wales, not 90210. Very different. Um, and I do remember getting the lead and much to... The older girls, they were very cranky with me. Uh, the, the, my first lead was in uh, The Music Man, um, when we would pair with Nawi Voice High. And uh, usually that went to a, a you know, the, the, the senior, uh, you know, year 11 or 12-year-old. And I, I think I was in year nine when I got that role. So they were suitably cheesed off the older girls that I got that role. Now, um, and and dare I ask, first... were you marrying the librarian or Harold Hill? Oh, stop it. I was marrying the librarian. <laughs> oh, well, when you said the lead, I just... I, you know, I just... Oh, well, sorry. Yeah, the lead, female lead. Yeah. So you must have had a, a soprano voice, did you, in uh, your teenage years? Well, I, I went to... I, 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 have, I was, went to uh, a chap called Professor Phillipsborn and, uh, and, uh, who, who taught me. I mean, you do all the scales. And I, I still have got a head voice that I, I do call on when necessarily, not my favourite sounding voice. But um, if I digress for a little moment, um, a dear friend who, who would become a, a very dear friend right to her, you know, her, her passing was Barbara Cook. And to actually, um, and knowing that she, I think she was the, she played Marion on Broadway. Um, many, you'd know that more than anyone, uh, but, but Barbara Cook, but um, to actually hear the records of how the role sh should have been sung, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I gave it a good old crack, but uh, nothing. I'm not a soprano, but I probably tried my hardest. The fantastic show, The Music Man, isn't it? Oh, and My White Night, and Till There Was... Beautiful. And, and of course, 
yeah, I, yeah, I love that. And who, who was the chap that played the lead in the in the in the movie, Pete? Robert Preston. Oh yeah, fabulous. Seventy six yeah. trombones, fabulous. Yeah, ours yeah. was nothing like. But I do remember it with my my first, my first stage kiss, and I didn't know how to because the boy playing the Robert Preston role, he was year twelve, so he was like seventeen, and I was like fourteen, and I hadn't kissed a boy, so I remember that was quite awkward. On the bridge till there was you. Till there was you. There was sun on the hill. Yeah, beautiful. But I never heard it ringing. Oh, there we go. Oh, now the young Rhonda, <laughs> was she an extrovert or an introvert? Apparently she was an extrovert, according to my friends oh, from, at school. from day one. From day, well, you know what? Um, I never saw myself as an extrovert. I just, I, I, was, like, I was like a Pollyanna. I, I enjoyed life and thought everyone was fabulous and kind. And uh, I mean, I was bullied a few times at school, which was, um, you know, and even now, you know, why I bring that up was the... Uh, I got this email from someone um, through my Facebook or something, 45 or so years, I don't know how many years, she sent me the biggest, uh, will you please forgive me for bullying you at school at the lockers? I was so mean to you. I was jealous. And I, I, you know what, I can't even remember. And I thought, Will I let her <laughs> keep on, you know, feeling, you know, you know, remorseful? But um, yeah, I, I, I forgave her. So I thought the poor thing suffered long enough. But um, that I, I, I digressed again. But uh, it, you know, I, I did have a very happy childhood, and um, whether that was, you know, because I done a Stedfords, I, I love performing, and I, and I think I used to put on concerts quite often in the school playground. Um, by myself with or, or you know get a few recruits from school teachers and, and other students but yeah a very happy childhood kids can be cruel why were they picking on you bullying you was that because of your height um height was always one but because i was quite popular you always get um and i was liked by the teachers i i just i remember there were several times i was yeah, these gangs of girls and and yeah yeah I remember getting in in the in the in the toilets down there you know I don't know yeah I don't know I, it was a, probably a bit of a jealousy thing too um, that I I did have confidence to go out and um, do things and 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 um, you know. Uh, I, I I I would be the first one to say let's put on a show, Judy. You know, and 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 I I think you know there's always that pocket of girls that are jealous or whatever. And um, um, but that <laughs> didn't stop me. I, I you know, it it, it it's the girls can be so mean. Uh, I mean, I know boys can be too, but um, school girls, you know, that that can be really really mean. And um, and yeah, but I. I, as I said, I, I pick myself up and just get on and, and, and get on with it. But So it's interesting that these girls, you know, so many years later, um, still remember those negative things that they did to me. So um, I kind of never gave it another thought. Come with me and we'll be in a world of beauty. 
will begin with a spin traveling in the world of my creation what will see will define explanation became a teacher yep yes i did. was that a bit was that a bit why was that did you want to be a teacher or did was this uh, no. mum and dad saying get something to fall back on well absolutely um i'd, I'd left school at year um uh, at year 10 when there used to be the school certificate and the high school certificate i lo- i left school initially at the school certificate and uh went off to do um because i said mum and dad i want to be in show business. So I went to um, a place called the Burning Log in Dural, a, a theatre restaurant, and uh, I was underpaid and I was bullied there and I, I used to come home in tears and um, bullied because and ripped off. You know, I, w- I was like 15 and getting paid, uh, doing all the, the stuff and Dad driving me miles to this theatre restaurant. Um, and um, I... I, I 
you know, the joy of performing kind of suddenly went out the window. And I, I remember mum uh, going up to the school, begging them if, if I could go back to school. And, and that's what I wanted to do. So I went to year 12 and uh, I got a scholarship to, to uni to become a, a school teacher because um, my dad was a little of uh, seeing my older sister in show business, you know, it's a bit of a gypsy life, you know, going from show to show. He said, oh, there's no real future, Ron, in show business. You know, get yourself a real job. Get yourself, be a school teacher. So I um, packed my bags and I went up to Armadale in um, New England and um, studied there. And um, I graduated uh, and uh, got my degree but, and taught for a little time, but um, knew in my heart of hearts that I, I really only ever wanted to, you know, be in showbiz. <laughs> was it you a primary teacher or a secondary teacher? Primary, infants and primary, infants and primary. And uh, I used to be quite f- fabulous, even if I say so myself, because um, mum would still be making all my clothes, but she'd have to tone them down a bit for school. But I'd, <laughs> I'd go in... Um, <laughs> I'd go in, I'd go in very, she had this thing with like Wonder Woman, Linda, Linda Carter was on the television and uh, uh, she used to say, oh, Rhonda, you're like Wonder Woman, because I was very tall and uh, very, very slender. So I'd have the big belts and the whatever and I'd I'd whirl around in the classroom. I was quite, yeah, uh, quite colourful in my teaching methods. Um, I loved it, but, um, you know, as soon as I got the, uh, the whiff of, uh, you know, auditioning for a, a show, which would be, they're playing a song. Um, I went along and uh, the rest is kind of history. Did you have an agent at the time you were teaching? No, no, I had nothing. I didn't have my equity. I had um, the only, uh, no, I, I had nothing. I had, um, you know, because my older sister, she would tell me what kind of shows were going and things like that. Um, that was about the, the closest. My, I think my sister had an agent. I can't remember who that was. But, um, no, I, I didn't get one of those until um, after, yeah, they're playing our song. Had you been auditioning for much or was that your first professional audition? That was the first. And I remember... Um, I was cheeky. I was supposed to be teach, school teaching and I saw the brief for this show and um, I thought I've got to audition for this. And I, it was like a general audition. And I, even then I was like, uh, you know, 17, 18, I bluffed my way through um, the audition saying that I'd done all this and done all that. Mind you, all I'd done was, you know, the music man and, and something. At, I, I, I did the fiddler on the roof, I think, where I uh, played... Um, have you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> 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 I played. Who who were they been? One of the I daughters. One of the daughters Gentle, or Golda? Maybe. I don't know. One of them. I don't know. But um, so I bluffed my way into the audition and uh, yeah, got that job. So yeah, and that and, was and it. You were playing one of the voices of Jackie Weaver. One of her alter egos, yeah, at, at six foot. And, uh, well, you know, we all know how um, uh, petite Jack, Jackie is. She was, she was not even five foot, so it was quite fun <laughs> and funny uh, physically to, you know, when I came out, you know, working it out out of the cupboard um, as this, um, yeah, 
the Hulk kind of figure beside poor Jackie. Well, so I guess once you're in shows, that's your continued your training. You were taking singing and dance lessons while you were mm. teaching too, I guess. Uh, I'd stop the dance. Um, I'd stop the dance when I was about 15, Peter. I mean, I tapped all my life. I, again, uh, I felt uh, I, I gave up the ballet uh, just before that because I was... Um, I was made feel as though I was an absolute freak um, in my... I'd, I'd gone up to my intermediate um, ballet exam, which is pretty high up in the RAD. Uh, you just do your advance and you go into a, a ballet company. And uh, I remember um, Arthur Rubenstein was the um, uh, adjudicator. And I, when you go for those final exams, for those big um, ones, you, you're, you're plopped in there with two other students from who, who knows where all over Australia. And uh, I remember him laughing himself off the, when I walked in there, off he, I thought, it, you know, I, I thought what is so funny because I'd never until then been made felt like I was um, anything but normal. I, and he made me feel like I was an absolute freak in a, in a, because uh, he said, who, my dear, do you think would ever par uh, partner you and you've got to, what do you think you're doing at your height? And, and because I had, I was like an ostrich, not, but that, that doesn't, never forgive him, but I was like this gawky giraffe going in there because I was half the weight that I am now because I'd had this huge growth spurt. And then he got his second big chuckle. I still remember it when I put my point shoes on because... Of course, I'd be another foot taller. In, uh, um, so that day, I remember getting on the train, and um, again, I, I you know, I, I can't remember do, what I did with the point shoes, but they never came home. And I said to Mum, "I never want to dance again." And you know, she wow, well, and um, I said it because I feel like I'm, you know, this weird thing that doesn't fit in, and I. I've been made fun of and, and you know, you, you think back now, um, you know, and, and I do fast forward to my daughter who was very tall too when she was younger than that but she came back and she said, Mum, I feel really, really uncomfortable in this class. I'm not normal. And um, I pulled her out straight away. I, I didn't want her to have to, you know, and she, and she found something else, you know. She, she's a rower. She, she, she does all the swimming but... Um, it was one of those things, you know, that really pretty much, you know, yeah, made me feel that I'm not, wasn't normal. And, and only I think that, you know, I don't know what it is, whether it's family or, or just in yourself that you go, okay, I'm, you know, tall, I'm, I'm going to make the most of this. It took a few years later, but um, um, it suddenly turned around to a positive thing, my height, rather than um, being felt you know that I didn't fit in well yes it's a traumatic thing for a kid to sort of go through that but um you wish you could only realize that to capitalize on your differences is going to propel you to great success and if you knew of stories like Bob Fosse who was short and sort of stooped and Fred Astaire had the receding hairline and they were told things that they would never make it but then look look what happened <laughs> look at uh, absolutely 
And that, you know, and that is the thing with, um, you know, when I would end up working with David Atkins, you know, he was as short as I was tall and, uh, you know, and that worked magically. So, um, yeah. And it wasn't until, uh, yeah, and I, I don't know, you know, what question you're, you're going to ask me, Peter, but I remember it wasn't until I, I, I would um, work with the Americans in Sugar Babies that they said, you know, stop stooping their shoulders, you know, you're, you're this height, you know, be proud of it. Um, you know, you can't kind of, you know, do that and pretend to be, you know, five foot five when you're, when you're six foot and then you're going to put heels on, you know. So they, they made me make the most of, you know, what I was uh, in terms of, you know, the, the height thing and, and use it as a real positive. Sugar Babies, the birth of Rhonda. Yes. It really was. It <laughs> yeah. was. So, so after they're playing our song, you were obviously continued to audition for things. Um, were you were you being limited by people looking at you and seeing how tall you were and where do we put her and how does she fit in? Or oh, sure, for sure. I I remember I did the playing a song. I wanted so badly to be in um, the Sound of Music. Um, but uh, again, you know, I I didn't even get an audition. You know, I think. You know, I probably I would have been better suited to play the mountain. <laughs> the hills are alive, um, but um, but you know there was a lot and a lot of those shows too because around that time, um, of course they were doing um, you know the Pirates of Benzance and then of course uh, you, yeah, I think of the, you know the Phantom of the Opera and Cats and things. You are so limited um, to when the producers, the directors have a, an idea of exactly the, the physical type they want to put in those roles. And uh, so that became very limited, uh, you know, what I could or couldn't audition for because, you, you know, you, you just knew you wouldn't or you, you wouldn't even get past, you know, hey, you know, the, the first round. If um, Now there's a lot more talk women I'm loving that are doing, you know, I think of Virginia Gay, I think of Christy Whelan. Um, Chloe Dallimore. A lot of, yeah, of course. Gorgeous, Chloe. Um, yeah, but, um, yeah, back then, yeah, you, it was very much by the, uh, you know, because the other thing too, a lot of the shows we got here, they had a, a stereotype or a type uh, that we had to be, Um and which when Sugar Babies came was a, like a godsend for me um, because the brief was that she had to be leggy. She had to, you know, the taller, the better, uh, a brassy singer, you know, um, sense of comedy, all of those things that, you know, I thought, oh, my goodness, this is the first time a role really suits me. So, um, yeah, it was the birth of Rhonda. <laughs> well, it's two years after your professional debut, you land a feature film with the pirate movie. Now, this is a film that I was obsessed with as a kid. I, I think because it was so theatrical that, you know, that Gilbert and Sullivan with the, the rock tunes. Um, how did that come about? Um, I think I can't. I, I think by then I did have an agent. I did have an agent um, out of, and I went along like everyone else and... Um, I don't know how I got it, but I, I got it. It was one of those magical things. Um, you had to sing and uh, do a dance. And David Atkins was a choreographer, I remember. Uh, I didn't, 
I knew of David, but I really didn't know him. Um, yeah, I just think luck, and I, they wanted different types, and um, yeah, that was that was quite something. The old pirate movie, wasn't it? Um, it's a, was it an Australian film or an American production? I think it was a American money, but the, and the first director pulled out, and there was a lot of stuff that went with that show, uh, that that movie. We were sitting around for a long time on wages, which was quite good, uh, while they you know, refound their a new director and uh, um, I remember David Atkins um, choreographing so many numbers that weren't actually in the film. They never got to do it. Um, yeah, uh, gosh, I remember a lot of sitting around. We did it in Melbourne and um, at Werribee and down uh, the, the, the Ocean Road. We did a lot of um, scenes down there with the lovely... Um, Christy McNichol, of course, and Christopher Atkins. Yeah, she had American leads come out because had the, the film had a double album as well. I know. Give me a happy ending. Now, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> what a great song. Yes. <laughs> uh, you have to listen to your listeners. Yeah. Give me a happy ending every time. You'd know it, Pete. I, 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 yeah, I do, but I never thought of it like that. Yes. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Yes, we'll put it out again. <laughs> put it out. Well, it's, it's got a cult following. Um, I must track it down and have a look at it again because a great Australian cast with Ted Hamilton and Gary McDonald and Maggie Kirkpatrick and Bill Kerr. Well, that was the best thing that came out of that uh, for me, um, a lifelong friend in Gary McDonald. So uh, he's my fishing mate and I adore Gary. Um, yeah. So he was the... Ted Hamilton was a bit... Uh, he was cheeky. I remember... Uh, for your listeners, you'll laugh. He he was a bit he was a bit saucy old Ted, and I remember uh, down there on the uh, on the the dock one night uh, he said to me he was, I don't know if it was a line or whatever he was saying he said one night with me Rhonda and I'll I'll turn you from a little girl into a woman, and that <laughs> wasn't the script that was just Ted being a bit sleazy but um yeah it never happened. <laughs> Well, Gary McDonald, gorgeous man, yes, indeed. Um, Gary McDonald, of course, you worked with again in Sugar Babies in 1988. Yes. Yeah, I love, as I said, uh, um, incredible Gary. He played uh, the the uh, Roy Reen type of, uh, yeah, amazing, amazing. Uh, and to work with him and my other favourite person in that was, of course, uh, Eddie Eddie Bracken who uh, would be, you know, a lifelong friend and um, just for me as a, an ins- inspiration to, to watch him perform and, and the most generous man I've ever had the pleasure of, uh, you know, working with and, uh, you know, calling a friend. You know, and just, in, I, I mean, if your listeners um, that may not know Eddie Bracken, I mean, he, he would work with the likes of him. Um, you know, Marilyn Monroe, Judy Garland, all these people and um, Carol Channing, he did um, Hello Dolly with many years on and off Broadway. But to have this, you know, man, uh, you know, help guide me in terms of, you know, professionally and uh, just, you know, dealing with the business. Uh, yeah, he, he's, he's one that, um, yeah, very dear to my heart. 
What, what did Eddie teach you about leading a company? Because that's a huge responsibility you've got to the producers and the audience, as well as the, the company that you're surrounded by. Yeah, he, uh, he was the, you know, most wonderful leader of the company. Uh, and he, you know, I, I, I remember he used to have this saying, Peter, that uh, he, he used to say, fish rot from the head. And he said, if you're ever in the position, Rhonda, of being in charge of a company or the leading lady in a company, you know, you need to be as nice to, you know, the doorman, your dresser, you know, as to your, your, your leading man. And uh, he said, you know, and if, if that person at the top of the company is, is cancerous or, or, or nasty, it filters through and, and, and it destroys the company. So I took those words on... Um, yeah, and I'll never forget. Beautiful Eddie. We should explain to the listener too what Sugar Babies was. It was a burlesque show, yes? A burlesque show, yes. Uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful uh, celebration of all things. Um, I don't know. What, what era would it have been? I don't know. Um, I'm just trying to think. But uh, early, last, like a- early last century. Yeah, yeah, song and dance and comedy. Dancing girls. Dancing girls, the sugar babies, um, magic tricks, all sorts of things put together in a musical and uh, um, originated by uh, Mickey Rooney and Anne Miller and um, we did a production of it here in Australia. Uh, And you filled the role of the Sabrette, is that right? The Sabrette. The Sabrette... for your listeners, the, the Sabrette was like the juvenile lead and the showgirl, and I, I was in charge of all the sugar babies. So, uh, and uh, yeah, a glorious role it was. Tell me about a legendary number in the show called Warm and Willing and how that works. Warm and Willing, uh, yes. Was this... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've I mean, seen it. I saw it live and then I re-watched it recently on Rondo Rewind. It's hysterical. It's, um, I did a, my thing was I had to be like this uh, glorious uh, uh, statue in a, in a Greek garden and doing a burlesque uh, kind of strip of the, the veils, I guess. And as I'd re- remove a veil, I had a live pigeon fly in and perch itself um, as I removed the veils. I had all the arms, you know, they were the chorus. And then I had uh, Titty 1 and Titty 2. They were the the features and uh, the head ones. And then the special, the big, the big, the big, you know, yay, was Fanny Bird. And, uh, yeah, that, that would perch on my crutch. And uh, as I would sing like a Julie Andrews version of, uh, you yeah, show me that you're warm and willing. And it was, was highly camp. It was... Hysteria brought the house down um, because you would never know where the birds would fly on any particular night and what they would do. Love is for the warm and willing, waiting for the warm and willing. Love is ours to take or toss aside. Take this promise to your heart and let your lips Show me that you're warm and willing, make 
each golden moment through you Give my empty arms a welcome sign We can make the stars go spinning And the earth stand still If you're warm and willing to be mine There you go. Well, I used to go to um, to bird, bird training classes after my normal rehearsal and uh, learn how to train these incredible, uh, my little feathered friends. And uh, yeah, that, that was a real highlight, that number. And, uh, and as I said, they'd be in these cages. I don't know if they could do it these days because of, you know, animal cruelty. I'm sure they couldn't. Not that they were cruelly treated, but they were in these uh, a kind of little, um, like a, a huge cupboard was built side stage where all the doors would be released and the birds would fly off one by one. And um, sometimes, you know, during, depending on the month, um, they would get very, um, they want to fornicate. And the only time that they would be able to fornicate was when they were released out of their little cage onto my head. <laughs> so um, it was, yeah, I'd have as many as eight on my head sometimes doing this as I was uh, trying to sing Warm and Willing, so yeah. Didn't you have one lay and eat one night? One lay, uh, yeah. Um, the fanny bird, the, the, the most, you know, celebrated feature of my act. Um, the poor little thing, she rocketed in for the big finish and she started crawling up my leg and then she'd drop. And then she'd crawl up again and then she, 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 she got to my thigh and then she'd drop. And then um, the, the band were just kept on kind of, rallying this kind of big finish and then only to find out that they finally closed the curtain. When they'd released her, she was about to, you know, lay an egg. So um, the poor little thing lay an egg at my feet. So that's why she couldn't make it to my crutch. I'm sure she's not the first bird to lay an egg on the <laughs> Majesty's stage. <laughs> and well, I'm sure not. <laughs> Later uh, that year, I think it was, you joined the London Company. Was that the premiere production in the West End or were you going into that? Yes. No, no, I was... Um, uh, Mickey and Anne had done it on Broadway and, uh, yeah, they, they did it. Uh, it was the same creatives. They'd seen me in Australia and then they invited me to go to, um, yeah, to the Savoy Theatre, in fact. What a thrill. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You know, I, pin I pinch myself now, even, you know, uh, 40 years later or whatever, you know, uh, 38, uh, you know, to, to, to have had the opportunity to, to work with two of those legends I'd seen, you know, as a kid growing up on, on my telly screen, you know, uh, to be working with them and uh, amazing. It said that you should never meet your heroes or, or legends. Did they disappoint in any way or were they fabulous? Anne was fabulous. Uh, um, Mickey, 
did, you didn't disappoint. Yeah, we did disappoint. I guess, you know, M Mickey was always, you know, the, the charming, funny, fabulous, um, you know, where you look at those Andy Hardy movies and stuff with Judy and uh, he wasn't like that at all. He was, he was, he was an incredibly talented person, don't get me wrong, and an incredible, a genius actor in his comic sense and, uh, but he, he, he wasn't the, the most charming as a, as a person, no. Whereas Anne, um, initially we had, you know, she, she was a little, it was funny because I was, here's me, 20, 25, 26. She was, I, I understudied her as well as played the soubrette. So there was a little, little bit of a little, for some crazy reason, you know, jealous. I guess it was just the age thing because um, she was way up there in uh, her later years. Um, but then we became great friends and I adored Anne and uh, she was quite the, quite the, quite the diva and, and justifiably so. I love so much about Anne Miller. Do you like to get to the theatre early? Or are you... Not uh, that early. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'm a shocker. I mean, Anne would get there hours before and uh, she had a routine and so professional. Um, one of my favourite things was she, she would go out on the stage and she, she wouldn't say anything. She, she would just go out with a box of tissues and anything that was on that surface that could harm her performance, she would just tear off a bit of tissue and put that... and. Some, you know, if it was a bobby pin or a, a nail or a, a bit of wood that had risen, uh, you know, because that was going to affect her performance. And she, uh, she was so professional. And, and, and then she'd, she'd go into a room and do a warm up. And then it took about a half hour to get that famous Ann Miller black roll Thomas. of hair. <laughs> you know, the one I'm talking about. Yeah, absolutely. That, you know, that woof. And, and, and that was... Was that a wig or was it real hair? It was a bit of both. Right. And 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 in the in in a real hair, she had um she used to bring it in um like black cotton wool that would pat out that you know roll and uh, yeah and there was the budgie blue eyeshadow. It was it was like a whole thing with Anne. It was it was great. So just just talking uh, shows generally. I, I imagine eight performances a week would keep you pretty fit. But how do you keep fit when you're not in a show? Um, I've got two dogs uh, that uh, I walk. I mean, even now, fast forward so many years, uh, you know, I, I walk, you know, five to ten kilometres a day. So that, I don't go to the gym. I don't... Um, I think, you know, gosh, I go... Oh, well, I do go to the gym to, well, occasionally just to look at the the boys there <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty I mean I love my walking if, if I if someone calls it exercise I, I, I run a mile but um, um, and tapping for example if someone said to me to tap today uh, it's one of those things I believe um, you know it's like falling off a bike you know I, I or you know I, you get back on I, I, I could certainly do a lot of all that stuff um, still now I've never forgotten the tap steps and what's life like when you're in a show you know delivering eight performances a week could be pretty taxing I guess a lot of people say it's like a monastic 
lifestyle where your days are geared just towards that that evening um what's your what's your show week like um the show week is yeah it you do live like a nun the, the first thing to me for me to go um when i you know you do shows like stop the world or big vocal shows um is the voice so um it's vocal rest rather than um wanting to party um that you have to kind of say Rhonda you, you you the worst thing for you is to talk and to you know to laugh and to do that so that it, it's protecting my voice more than anything that um I kind of live a bit like a nun when I'm doing eight shows a week um are you able to go home and go straight to bed afterwards or do you go home and have oh. a, a, a winding down uh, routine oh, a winding down oh yes, a winding down <laughs> a winding down i love a winding down yeah i have a couple of glasses at least um and just i'm the worst thing in the world you know people say about diet i i i eat i don't eat before a show so um i have a big pig out yeah after the show and it's worst thing that but i've done it all my life so um yeah and then i, I sleep on that so um yeah all the wrong things but that's yeah what i do join Rhonda and i in episode 145 of the stages podcast where we continue to explore reflect and celebrate her 40 years in the business we call show she discusses her extensive cabaret, recording and variety experiences and we hear more of her dulcet tones in a selection of great music that she's recorded throughout her career. Do check out Rhonda's website at rondabirchmore.com where you can access more great music and her autobiography, Legs 11, My Life in Front of the Lights and Backstage. We look forward to your company next time on Stages and the companion episode with cabaret, television and theatre legend Rhonda Birchmore. Keep well, keep warm, I'll catch you next time.